Welcome to Markets Plus, where leading experts from across BMO discuss factors shaping the markets, economy, industry sectors, and much more. Visit bmocm.com slash markets plus for more episodes. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Today we have a special episode from the latest edition of NextGen Treasury by BMO that focuses on managing liquidity in a rising rate environment. Let's listen to what our BMO experts had to say. Clients and colleagues, welcome to the latest edition of NextGen Treasury. My name is Johanna Skoog. I'm the head of INCB US TPS and I'm your host today. With this series, we aim to deliver great content and ideas on topics that are timely and most relevant to you. In previous sessions, we discussed the latest tips on how to minimize your exposure to fraud with expert Larry Zelvin. And last year, expert Jim Santoro spoke about balancing the liquidity scales. And speaking of liquidity, today we're bringing back the liquidity conversation. Over the course of this year, nearly every major economy has jammed on the brakes. In the past five decades, policy has never tilted so overwhelmingly towards rate increases. In North America, the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada have raised interest rates six times this year, citing persistent inflation. We are expecting this trend to continue into F23. What does this mean for you? How you manage your liquidity during this time is very important. With rising interest rates and interest market volatility, it will become more difficult to maximize liquidity, minimize operational risk, and achieve optimal returns and palatable borrowing costs. If you've been keeping an eye out on the rising rates, you're not alone. Managing liquidity in this volatile time has been one of our most asked about topics. To help put things into perspective and to answer some of your questions, I'm joined today by two expert speakers. They will provide their thoughts and unique perspectives on liquidity management. And we'll follow that up by a panel discussion where they'll answer your questions. A quick introduction of our experts today, and we'll dive right into it. First, we have Jennifer Lee, Bebo's senior economist. She is known for her analysis on the US economy, as well as her commentary analyzing financial market and economic activity in Europe and Japan. Welcome, Jennifer. We're joined by Ben Lambert, Managing Director and Head of Liquidity Solutions at BMO Capital Markets. Ben has deep expertise in partnering with clients to deliver liquidity solutions across their working capital, reserve, and strategic cash. Welcome, Ben. Now, let's get into it. Jennifer, over to you for your views on the economy. Thank you very much. So I thought I'd start off with some positive news, which I feel like I haven't done in ages. So are you ready for this? Here we go. I haven't heard any of the major central bankers use the word front load in a few months. So there you go. There's your good news. I'm going to do my mic drop now. Of course, maybe after like, what, four 75 basis point hikes in a row, it's hardly front loading anymore, right? And if it's it's considered front loading, I think we are, we would have been, uh, have a bigger problem, I guess, on our hands. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that rates are headed the other way. There's going to be higher for longer and rates are probably going to be staying elevated for some time, meaning that in the U.S., we're probably going to be living with a Fed funds rate in the range of four and three quarters to five percent for a while, like about a year or so. And the reason behind that is because the U.S. economy, after 
even after like 375 basis points of rate hikes, remains very, very resilient. And I have to say, I've been pretty surprised by the data, just the fact that they've just been managing to hold up after all that tightening. Now, not every single um, data release obviously has been doing so, but it's you know still pretty broad based. Now, most recently, we just got the latest uh, uh, latest real GDP reading for the third quarter, and it was revised higher to 2.9% annualized, and that was higher than the first estimate. And we saw broad-based uh, gains in, in consumer spending and business investment and exports, but of course, there's some offset from housing and 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 from uh, and from imports as well, and since then, uh, the handoff to the fourth quarter, you know, we're still seeing a pretty decent um, passover. Uh, consumer spending is still rising, albeit at a, at a slower pace, but still uh, still on the rise, and we've got evidence of that from the October retail sales report. Um, business investment in machinery equipment is still growing, and trade looks like it was up until uh, the last up until October. Uh, it, it was still adding to GDP growth, but uh, we saw a pretty big deficit um, in, in, in October. So it looks like we can start seeing trade subtracting from growth. And in Canada, earlier this week, we got the third quarter GDP numbers. Finally, headline was very solid, up 2.9% uh, annualized, but the details were so not solid. Uh, consumer spending was down, but that was okay because that allowed consumers to sort of sock away some of that hard-earned money uh, for a rainy day. And so that boosted up the savings rate a little bit. And we all know that having some savings put away is never a bad thing. Uh, housing was still down, and there's probably more of that to, uh, to where that came from. Um, net exports and business investments uh, also uh, boosted the headline, as did inventories. Now, for all of 2022, we did lift Canada's GDP growth rate uh, to about 3.5%. Uh, originally, we had it at 3.3%. Uh, for the U.S., we're looking at a number just under 2%, maybe about 1.9%. And we still continue to expect a downturn in the first half of 2023, which I guess is just right around the corner. And then a modest recovery in the second half, which uh, basically works out to zero growth, netting out to zero growth. So it's almost going to be a write-off for 2023. And then we're going to get some uh, rebound in 2024 in the neighborhood of about maybe one and a half percent or so for both countries. Now here, I feel like I should also mention our global growth forecast because we are all still getting that question do y'all see a global recession coming in the next year or so? And right now the answer is no, not quite, but it's pretty close. So right now uh, we started off the year, actually I should say, we started off the year looking at 4.5% growth for 2022 and 4% for, uh, for 2023, which feels like the good old days at this point. And of course we have the Russian-Ukraine war breakout, the, uh, the lockdowns and restrictions in China, and of course the uber hawkish talk from the Fed. So now we are looking at 3.1% growth for 2022, 2.3% for 2023. And for 2023, aside from the, from the pandemic and the great financial crisis, that is the slowest pace in about three decades. Now, there's no hard and fast rule about what specific number it would be that would constitute a global recession. Um, by definition, it would be just uh, an extended period of economic decline around the world. So here, here um, at BMO Economics, we look at a number sort of in the 2%-ish range, like in the low twos. So given our call for 2.3% next year, we're pretty close and I don't think it's gonna to take too much to sort of tip us over into that recession category or recession camp. And by the way, a number of those big think tanks, the global think tanks have also been weighing in on this whole concept. The IMF um, in October said that the quote, worst is yet to come and uh, they marked down their forecasts as well, but they didn't call out call for an outright recession um, around the world. But they did say that um, some countries uh, will feel like uh, 
will feel like more is that it's more of a recession than, than other countries. They also mentioned, uh, not in October, but a little while before that, they talked about inflation and how it's been stubborn and more broad-based than anyone would have thought it would be. And they encourage central banks to be equally as stubborn in fighting it. And we all know what that means. That means basically means that um, you would require more interest rate hikes. The World Bank, by the way, had a sort of a different angle. They agreed with the, the view on inflation, but they and but then they warned of devastating consequences to the global economy if central bankers raised rates too quickly and as too aggressively. But anyways, regardless, you know, there's going to be pain everywhere. Some countries and some regions will suffer more than others and they have their own challenges. And I'm thinking China with its COVID lockdowns and its restrictions and now its protests, which look like they might be having some of their desired effects. And of course, with Europe, I don't know, where do you begin with that? You've got, you know, energy prices in Russia and all that. So probably recessions there for sure. So getting back to North America, the reason why we are only looking for a mild recession uh, goes back to the whole labor market. Just the fact that it remains very, very tight. Uh, not as much as it once was, but uh, I will still say this, that if you're a job hunter, it is still the best time to be looking for a job. And for those who are trying to, trying to hire, this is still the worst time to be looking for workers. And you don't have to look any further than the job vacancies or the job um, openings data. Very few people, I remember back in the day that used to look at the US JOLTS uh, report, which is the job openings and labor turnover survey. And now we are really scrutinizing it, even as much as the monthly non-farm payroll report. Now at last check, we just got the October report and it still shows that for 16 months in a row, there have been over 10 million job openings out there, which outnumber uh, unemployment by a factor of almost two. In other words, there are nearly two job openings for almost for every unemployed American. Um, in Canada, there are nearly a million job uh, vacancies out there, which is a near record, and that is almost equal to the number of unemployed Canadians. So until that lets up, we will probably continue to see upward pressure on wages, and that in turn would mean upward pressure on inflation. Now, there has been some encouraging news on the inflation front. Uh, we have the October US CPI report, which caused a lot of hoopla, um, for lack of a better word, and I'm sorry if I'm being too technical there, uh, but it did come in well below expected. Uh, the core reading in particular uh, was up only 0.3% month to month, which is the smallest increase in over a year. Uh, the year-over-year -year trend slowed uh, uh, from 6.6% in September, which was a 40-year high, to 6.3%. Then a week later, we got the Canadian CPI numbers for October, and it didn't deteriorate. It was steady at 6.9%, and it kept putting some distance between itself and that 40-year high of 8.1% back in June. Um, the average of the cores, though, were still quite steady at 5.4%, which is great, but at least it didn't get worse. And because central bankers, they've been burned before, I think it's totally understandable that they don't want to be too trigger happy. Um, pretty sure Fed Chair Powell back in August was saying that the cost of doing too little is greater than the cost of doing too much. So he's been saying that up until recently, and, uh, and all other members of the FOMC are also echoing his words, such as the Cleveland Fed's Loretta Mester. So what does this mean for the Fed and the Bank of Canada? So here are our calls. So the Fed, after 375 basis points of rate hikes, we continue to look for another 100 basis points to come in the next three meetings or so. So we're looking for 50 basis points in December. And judging by Fed Chair Powell's comments on Wednesday, that's sort of supporting that view. And for another 25 beeps in February and 25 beeps again in March, which was will land us at 4.875% or in the four and three quarters to 5% range. For the Bank of Canada, we are looking for uh, 
two more rate hikes, about 75 basis points, and this follows 350 beeps of hikes, um, maybe another 50 beeps uh, in December to four and a quarter percent, and another 25 basis points to four and a half percent in January. And once they reach terminal, they'll hold and sort of assess the landscape because we all know there's a lag response to the policy actions, but there is a risk that uh, rates will be higher than what we have penciled in. So what is next? I'm going to shamelessly borrow from ECB President Lagarde's comments. Um, I'm going to kind of semi-quote her, but when she says everything is data dependent and decisions will be made on a meeting by meeting basis. Um, so that's a great quote to use. And but for sure, you know, we got to keep an eye on the data on oil prices, for example, because of oil, if it continues to decline, and it's got to stay there for a few days, by the way, it can't be just, uh, it's got to stay there for more than a few days, then that can actually ease pressure on other costs like on transportation. So that will help the overall inflation story. But of course, it all comes back down to core and just making sure core CPI heads back south towards that 2% mark. And remember that a slower pace of rate hikes does not mean cutting, it just means 50 instead of 75 or 25 instead of 50. But if you get weaker economic growth, if you get weaker job growth and less spending, that will help the decision to sort of slow things down a bit. So slow growth, that ought to do it. And that's what makes this whole situation so unique is that bad news is good, good news is bad. And that's unfortunately, that's the way of the world these days. And I think that covers my comments. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Jennifer, for your comments. It was very insightful. And now we'll turn over to Ben for his um, commentary on liquidity with clients. Good afternoon, everyone. And thank you very much, uh, Joanna, for hosting this session and Jennifer for sharing the good news, bad news story. Uh, obviously, still a lot of caution, uh, still a lot of uh, uncertainty, as you perfectly described, uh, Jennifer. Um, and as we're facing a, a rising rate environment, which is at the end of the day much more aggressive than anyone's initial forecast as we look back uh, earlier this year. So we see we, we talk to clients on a daily basis and we actually have to admit we see a lot of stress and almost, I would say, rate hike fatigue uh, at this point. And on the one hand, we, we have clients you know, analyzing all the economic data and the Fed talking points and I would say juggling between the, the dovish and hawkish comments uh, that comes day after day, whether it's the GDP data one day or, or Chair Powell comments yesterday. And uh, on the other hand, we have clients that are still trying to make sense of all this and still don't know really what to do with our cash as they, as they approach us. So whether you sit on one end of the spectrum or, or the other side or in the middle, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly normal. I would say do not worry. Uh, there are solutions to accommodate everyone and help navigate uh, this right environment. Uh, one thing I'll add is let's remember that, you know, we probably have not seen this uh, pace of rising rate environment in quite a while. Uh, on my hand, I've been tw almost 20 years in banking, 10 years in liquidity uh, since some prime sovereign financial crisis. And I have to say that the rate environment that we deal with at the moment is probably one of the most challenging uh, and the most difficult to navigate uh, I've seen. So, uh, I would say, speaking under Jennifer's control, uh, I'm not sure we've ever been in such a situation. Uh, and I think that, that Jennifer, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the last time we came out of a zero rate environment, like we like we've done over the past 12 months, the Fed was not fighting real inflation, but really reducing accommodation. So, uh, really, a new territory uh, that we've been progressing through uh, so far. Uh, a difficult environment to deal with. And I would say, 
uh, over the next part of this session, we'll try to make a bit of sense of what's going on and look how to best navigate uh, these times when it comes to liquidity management. So there's three main things uh, on that purpose I would like to, to talk about today. And the first one is the impact of this rising rate environment on our corporate liquidity market. So what we've witnessed uh, after 12 months now is that this pace of rate hike, this rising rate environment has fully shifted the market from what we call diversification to value. And we witnessed uh, that dynamic both across uh, the client and, and bank perspective. So I would say, let's look at, you know, some of you first, you're probably sitting uh, and listening to the sessions like, oh yeah, that, that's, that sounds familiar. So let's take a step back, you know, during the pandemic, uh, we saw big influx of cash deposits uh, as, you know, on the corporate treasury side, uh, clients were uncertain about, you know, the cash reserve they would need to maintain given the uncertainty linked to the health, the geopolitical environment uh, as we exited the pandemic and plan to run their facility and community cash and keep those as reserves uh, along that time. Now, as we entered into end of 21 and early 22, we saw a bit of normalization uh, that uh, happened on the on the plan behavior side. Plan started to deploy cash for CapEx, debt repayment, uh, obviously repaying debt as interest uh, were rising and debts were becoming more expensive. So we saw a bit of a shift of priorities uh, for clients and also a shift in sort of appetite when it comes to going after yield and after value, uh, after only focusing for diversification across their bank group and capital preservation uh, over the previous month. So now let's take the bank perspective for a second. And this is what's on the slide and which could be able to illustrate uh, the, the point uh, which I'm making. So clients who are coming to banks with cash in hands, uh, really not focused on yield during the pandemic, as I mentioned, really looking to place uh, and park cash uh, to put on, 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 on their bank's partner's uh, balance sheet. And that's the peak that you see uh, on the left side of the chart uh, during the pandemic period. As uh, we started to exit the pandemic, banks started to put uh, caps uh, and limits on balances they, they could accommodate, uh, on pricing potentially as well to make sure they could service all their clients and, and keep capacity on, on their balance sheet uh, on the go forward basis. Now from the bank perspective, we start to see normalization uh, of, of, uh, of, of balance sheet behavior as well. We saw less rest on balance sheet with a rebalancing of inflows between loans extended and deposit capture, which is kind of that middle inflection point you see on the slide as we exited the pandemic. And if, if you, Look closely, you, you will see that over the last couple of quarters, we start, we start seeing loan growth uh, and, and, and loan being sent to clients outpacing the, the deposit collection. So what does that mean uh, from a, a client point of view? It means that banks, you know, as they try to self-fund this loan growth and this new loan appetite, this new normal, uh, will have appetite to capture deposit and extend value to, to uh, collect those deposits. So. Uh, I would say good news. Banks are still here for, for clients. You know, they were here during the pandemic. They're still here after the pandemic. And now the even better news is that there is value associated with, with deposits and some banks to support their loan growth will go after their value. So on the one hand, clients, you know, open for yield. Some banks open to support their loan growth and provide value. So. Conditions were created to shift from the diversification angle 
to the value proposition uh, that we look at uh, at the moment. So first theme, shifted from diversification to value. The second thing uh, I'd like to, to mention and is gonna help us navigate this environment is that we have not to go back to the discipline of reviewing liquidity management strategies. What does it mean? It means we need to go back for the, to the old practice of analyzing cash flows, where cash flow is coming from and where they need to go. So the way I look at it, and it's the second slide uh, we're gonna look at uh, at the moment. And the way I, we, we like to look at it and the way we recommend to look at it is to segregate the cash into three different buckets. First bucket, uh, operational cash, where you, know, you place your working capital cash day-to-day, immediate access, which is the cash you need to deploy for payments, collection, payrolls, financing. A second bucket, which is more the reserve cash, uh, which may not be required you know, beyond a month, um, generally for longer foreseeable corporate, corporate events, corporate needs, dividend payments, debt repayments, bonus payments. So all that cash within one to six months that uh, you can allocate along to your cash flow forecasting. And the last bucket, it's what we call the strategic cash, which is long-term cash that is really seldom touched, uh, that you, you use for acquisitions or large capex decisions. So really like cash that you will not touch, you know, six months and beyond. So this old practice that I, I describe uh, has some real uses. And when I say old, it's not related to any kind of recent complacency per se. It's just like that, you know, during the past couple of years, the discipline was not as much required because of the low rate environment. Why segregate cash and put some cash to work, you know, when you know the rates are close to zero or close to zero, uh, and you know the natural solution were to keep fund overnight and fully liquid, and that's what we had witnessed uh, until client practice of the of the past few years. So now that the environment has shifted, and and that there's value to capture, we need to go back to this practice. Uh, and reallocate cash across the different buckets to really identify which class could be uh, put to work and which cash need to stay overnight uh, to keep the daily liquidity funding needs. On that topic and to expand a little bit, so uh, you know, I mentioned reviewing liquidity management strategies. Now the third theme I'd like to, to uh, introduce is to stay nimble and adjust investment policy. So. We mentioned the value we can capture. Uh, we mentioned the need to be disciplined and really segregate cash accordingly based on, on needs and, and based on, on appetite. So to capture that value, there are several products to consider and to be able to secure those products and place funding in those solutions, we really encourage our clients to review and adjust their investment policy. The message really is to, to stay flexible, to stay nimble, to go after the value I just described and really fit that value against the funds, the need to access the funds, so the liquidity needs, uh, the yield appetite, and obviously uh, the, the risk appetite. So focus on capital, capital preservation is still a, a key focus at the moment for clients, but some clients may be able to take a bit of principal risk. And we'll look at some of the products uh, that we could consider across the different buckets of cash uh, we, just, we just talked about. So when it comes to operating cash and really that the daily cash we need uh, to, to get access to. So a couple of products that clients and, and you probably have, have been leveraging uh, historically or are still leveraging today is 
the current account, uh, or if you're in the US, the, the ECR account, so earnings credit um, uh, value, where, whereby the, the deposit you, you place in your account enables you to offset fees linked to your cash management services and treasury and payment services. So with the rate hike environment, that ECR, you know, will 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 uh, will see will should have seen uh, a little a little bump, uh, and you should get you should have got a benefit uh, and offsetting more fees uh, in that in that environment. If you're sweeping that excess cash, uh, that reserve cash to money market fund at the moment, you will also see an uptick in your daily, daily yields from the Gobi funds that you, your funds could be placed with. So now. In this rising world environment, that money market funds may have a bit of a lag, uh, and it's mainly linked to the interesting value uh, that those funds carry. Usually, those money market funds 70% invested overnight, and there's some TBLs and some tears in there. So, by the time they catch up on the right hike, you see a bit of a lag in terms of yield pickup. But more importantly, if you have an interest bearing account or, or money market deposit account or a treasury management account in, in Canada, the, the rate hike should have translated in the return you get on, on your bank deposits. And sometimes uh, for some some banks where we are described earlier, have self-funding appetite and are looking to support their long growth, the return you'll get on your account would supersede or may supersede the, re, the return you may get on the overnight uh, money market funds or other instruments of, of that nature. So really, to, for you to better appreciate and understand this dynamic, really encourage you to stay close to your corporate banker or liquidity specialist uh, to really appreciate, you know, the value you could capture by, you know, looking at bank deposits in, in a closer manner based on the, on the partner banks, you know, obviously you, you, you deal with. Which is to echo that uh, you really need to check investment policy to potentially rebalance portfolio, look at bank deposit appetite, based on the value that you could extract uh, from rising, the rising rate environment. So that was for, more for the operating cash, the overnight cash uh, that we could access. Now let's look, look real quick at the reserve cash and that term deposit, notice deposit product bucket, uh, which is part of, of this one to six month uh, pocket of cash that we could leverage. So actually we've seen a lot of cash inflows uh, and, and a lot of cash from clients deploying into that segment over the past month. Clients were able to segregate cash uh, in that bucket, were able to lock in yield uh, and create a lot of value for the, for the cash portfolio and the excess cash as they lock in the probability of right hikes. So just a reminder, term deposit is you, you would lock in the funds and get access to the funds and maturity with your interest. And the real value of the term deposit is that you lock in the probability that the Fed that the Fed will, will hike in such a way. So at the moment, there's a lot of value along the curve, both short-term, both more long-term, between one month and, and 12 months. So we see clients playing along the curve and locking yields and getting more, more value for, for their buck, uh, as, as we call it. And the beauty of the product as well is, as clients are disciplined enough or can provide transparency on their corporate events, it's kind of natural to tie the maturity of the investment to their set corporate events, whether it's a debt repayment, a dividend payment, or, 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 or tax payment per se. Now let's look at the last bucket, the strategic cash, where you know clients can place cash long-term, so six months to one year. So we could leverage the same product, uh, or beyond, beyond one year, by the way, and we could leverage the same product on the term side. We also saw a lot of appetite for clients uh, on, that, on that tenor, 
a bit less than the three or six months, given the nature of, of the portfolio that they have. But we started seeing now clients being either more sophisticated and anticipating you know, potential rate cuts in 24. So we heard Jennifer mentioning that you know, clients, you know, um, that, that some clients are starting about the, the R word. Uh, so I'll say it because he said it as a recession. And so we start seeing some limited clients starting to hedge against the rate cuts and going really long term, two, three year uh, to locking the yield today and, and protect against, against rate cuts. Other products uh, to consider uh, if principal risk could be part of the equation uh, of your daily cash uh, management. Uh, that's, that's something we have to say, we have not seen too much. We haven't seen a lot of uh, risk profile transitioning to that side of the spectrum. Actually, we have seen the opposite. Uh, we have seen clients who are investing historically in, in treasuries uh, going to more fixed value product, whether it's a uh, money market or funds, gobby funds or, or bank deposits, because the volatility of the treasury, overnight treasury market at the moment was so was such that there was a bit of principal risk that could have been created if they were to either if they were to sell the security uh, before maturity. So a lot of dynamics at play uh, across across a, a product set and really need uh, to stay flexible based on the where the value sits at the moment across the different cash buckets. And obviously we're here uh, to, to, help you, um, to help you review those investment policy, uh, review those liquidity management strategies and unlock the value that we see right now in, in the market. So three, three main themes to summarize, the liquid market has shifted, there's value capture. To capture that value, the second theme the, you know, we encourage all our clients to review their investment options uh, and survey their cash accordingly. And three is to stay flexible uh, in terms of investment policy, to go after those products and really balance the, the need to access funds, the risk appetite and the yield appetite uh, to, uh, to really go and unlock that value. So I've said a lot here and I'll send it back to you, Joanna. Great. So with that, I think we'd like to close out today's session, and I would like to thank Jennifer and Ben for their insightful comments. Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more episodes, visit bmocm.com slash markets plus. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. 
BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.